Today's episode of the Gone Fission Nuclear Report is brought to you by Floor. We're building a better world. Welcome to the Gone Fission Nuclear Report, your one-stop source for all the latest news from the Department of Energy's Environmental Management Program. Now, here's your host, Michael Butler. It's a big week in Washington, D.C., where hundreds will gather for the National Cleanup Workshop. Attendees include regulators, Department of Energy officials, community leaders, and others involved in DOE's environmental management program. It's a full agenda, there's a lot of information, and we look forward to bringing it to you on the Gone Fishing Nuclear Report podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Gone Fishing Nuclear Report. Today is Monday, September 25th, 2023. We're continuing our coverage of this year's National Cleanup Workshop in Washington, D.C. This year's meeting drew a record attendance, more than 800 delegates from across the country. We're going to start today with EM Senior Advisor Ike White and his thoughts on where the DOE cleanup program stands. Later, we're going to feature a special part of this year's workshop, the Young Professionals Day, a day devoted to younger members of EM and contractor staffs who are creating a career and a future in environmental cleanup at DOE sites. They're also sharing the news with their peers. If you want job security and the feeling of doing something meaningful, environmental cleanup is the place to be. What does this future look like, and how do you as a young professional make the most of it? We'll hear from top government and industry officials on this topic today, including UCOR President and CEO Ken Rook. Tell us why uh, this meeting today is important, and uh, what, what is the future, what is the potential for young professionals in your business? Well, I, I think what's at the center of today is is really all the opportunity that exists in the in the overall you know nuclear eco cycle and ecosystem. I think the opportunity is limitless, and when you look at all of that and what's in front of this uh, you know evolving industry in a very in a very positive way, I personally believe it's the is the pathway to energy independence again for this country that uh, that there's there is something in it for everyone. And the realization that we have a pretty significant resourcing gap within it, uh, it's things like this, it's opportunities and events like this that uh, bring us all together to really understand how we get the next generation workforce and leaders uh, in the field. Now let's hear from EM Senior Advisor Ike White, who gave a site-by-site status of cleanup progress. A report that shows the EM cleanup program is moving forward with deliberate speed in what continues to be a challenging environment. When we look at the next phase, the focus on our sites is increasingly shifted to long-term operations. A full suite of tank waste capabilities is in place at Savannah River, for example, where we're treating more tank waste water than ever before. Soft stone disposal unit number eight, I love the way we name these things in the end, was approved for operation in June, meeting one of our annual priorities. This fourth mega volume disposal unit is going through testing now and will ultimately store 33 million gallons of treated tank waste. 
As you'll hear from Connie Kaur later this morning, our team in Idaho has successfully launched operation of the Integrated Waste Treatment Unit. It's been a very long time and a very long journey, and no doubt the road ahead will be bumpy, um, but that is an incredibly important accomplishment for our colleagues in, in Idaho. I actually look forward to getting out to that site next week to mark this achievement with the workforce there, with the state of Idaho, with some of our key stakeholders in the Shoshone Bannock tribe. Significant process also progress also continues at Hanford, where we're advancing toward a mobilization of tank waste and glass. And we know, as I mentioned earlier, progress sometimes comes with bumps in the road. Um, we plan with that in mind, and we're prepared for that. During the heat up of the first melter, for example, we had to pause and make some adjustments to the heating elements. These adjustments were successful, enabling us to reach the point where we formed the first molten pool, bringing us one more step closer to operations for DF law. Over the past year, the Hanford team took advantage of longer than expected outages at Tisker to make improvements in the treatment system there. And we'll take it a step further when we use these lessons learned to develop future waste treatment capabilities at Hanford. This is what it will take at Hanford and at other sites, a deliberate step-by-step -step approach to very complex, challenging, first-of-a-kind capabilities. The stakes are high, and we're committed to getting it right. The progress we've made at Hanford and across EM sites extends well beyond the tank waste mission. Demolition work underway at Hanford, for example, will enable us to cocoon the final reactor along the Columbia River. I look forward to hearing about this work firsthand when I visit Hanford next week as well, and look forward to Congressman Newhouse joining us here at the cleanup workshop tomorrow. Great work is also underway in Nevada. I'm pleased to announce that our team there has completed demolition of four buildings and supported development and testing of nuclear rocket engines during the Cold War. Not only was this work completed safely, it was done ahead of schedule. That's always a message that I like to deliver. The milestone sets the stage for completion of the test cell C complex and demolition of EMAD, the last remaining demolition enclosure effort currently identified in our mission in Nevada. Some of the leaders who helped make this happen are here with us today, and want to say a special congratulations to the entire Nevada team that helped make this happen. As a matter of fact, I'll invite a couple of them up at the end of my remarks to introduce a short video to show you the work there. In New Mexico, we're making steady progress in drawing down inventories of legacy plants, and other waste at Los Alamos for safe disposal. A new utility shaft we put in place at WIP has hit the target depth that will allow connection to the underground later this year. It's part of a broader effort to improve working conditions, safety, and efficiency to support operations that are critical to our cleanup mission across the country. The level of progress that we're seeing is clear across the country. We're on track again to complete the vast majority of our annual priorities. Taking a cumulative look of the 107 sites that we started with, 107 have been cleaned, and 15 left to go. We'll be back after this from Floor. In addition to outlining progress and accomplishments, I quite also discussed the challenges that EM faces in completing the cleanup mission. The work that remains, though, is among our toughest work. As we prepare for that work, we do so with some very significant underlying challenges in mind. First, 
Mayor Gary alluded to, all of us are facing a hiring and labor environment that is unlike any that we've seen before. We'll need thousands of new workers over the next five years to achieve our cleanup goals. Second, we know we accomplish more in places where we're all working in one direction towards a common goal, and we have yet to achieve that level of alignment program-wide. We're getting closer, and we're seeing results at sites like Savannah River and Oak Ridge and others. But we have more to do when it comes to engagement and opportunities that help us create that alignment that in turn translates into success. Third, there's no escaping the fact that we're operating in an era of changing climate. EM must be prepared to deal with events like excessive heat and wildfires, particularly at our sites located in deserts, and more frequent and severe weather events. It also means EM must do our part to contribute to climate change solutions, operate in a sustainable manner, and promote a clean energy future. It's a global challenge that we must take into account when we look at opportunities for broad beneficial reuse of land that's no longer needed for cleanup. And of course, we have to plan and prioritize our work to fit within a realistic budget. These challenges might be viewed simply as potential issues with potential impacts that we may not fully realize for many years to come. I prefer to view them, however, in terms of opportunities. Opportunities we have today to mitigate impacts solve problems, and keep progress moving forward. In order to continue making progress, we have to seize these opportunities, and we have to do it together. Before giving his State of the Cleanup Program report, Ike White was the keynote speaker at the National Cleanup Workshop's Young Professionals Program. Really exciting this week to see a lot of uh, early career professionals at our, our cleanup workshop. I think for the folks who are in the program, it's a great opportunity to be a part of the largest environmental remediation program in the world. Um, it's a chance to participate in something that really makes a difference to people across the country, to hundreds of thousands of people in communities that are affected by the cleanup program. It's technically interesting. It's technically challenging. It's going to, the program is going to be here for a while, so it's a chance to make a career out of this. A lot of really interesting, motivating, exciting work to do. And it's work that makes a difference to a lot of different people around the country. This event drew young professionals from around the DOE complex. We talked to one who shared her enthusiasm for what was happening during the Young Professionals Day. So I always love hearing from Ike White. Um, he's a very wonderful speaker, very inspirational. Um, they do recognize that there is an age gap as people are aging out. Um, and I love that they're actually holding this professional development um, session for early career professionals um, within the environmental management here in DOE. Um, it's something that we need to bring awareness to. Um, we had a good turnout today. Um, they gave some great tips and tricks to incorporate into everyone's own uh, professional development goals. Jessica was not disappointed as I quite shared with the audience his own views about the career opportunities that exist within the EM program, opportunities brought on by an aging workforce. The other thing that you might not know is over the last couple of decades, we've worked ourselves into a situation where our demographics are very interesting. On the federal workforce, for example, about half the people in the federal workforce are eligible to retire now. Right. Um, and if you look at what our curves look like from an age perspective, we are doing our very best. And you'll hear a lot about this this afternoon and over the course of this week if you're participating in the, in the workshop. We're doing our very best to bring people into the program 
um, at the moment, but there's a gap in the middle of the program. And so what this does for folks who are on the early career side is it creates an enormous set of opportunities for you to very rapidly advance your career um, in the cleanup program if you're willing to put forth the effort and motivation and demonstrate that you can actually um, be a part of that program and want to be a part of that program. So there's both an opportunity from an individual perspective and there's a long-term continuing opportunity from a mission perspective to be a part of what I think of as one of the most important programs that we have in the, in the U.S. government. In an interesting narrative, White shared the trajectory of his own career path with a group of young leaders. But one of the things that I am like, notoriously bad at is career planning. As a matter of fact, I am so bad at career planning that I have never once planned to have any job that I have ever had in my entire career, starting with the one I have now um, and going all the way back. When I, was, when I was in high school trying to figure out what I wanted to major in, I had not a clue. I decided to be electrical engineering, um, and for those of you who are math geeks, you'll appreciate this. I decided to major in electrical engineering because I'm good at math, right? And I wanted something easy, and so that was what I went for as an undergraduate degree because I wanted something that was really centered around something that I, I was pretty good at. The things that I'm not good at, like communications, really aren't needed to get through engineering school. <laughs> the whole time I spent in engineering school, I thought, well, you know, maybe what I really want to be is a lawyer. And no offense to the lawyers in the in the room, but um, I just quickly sort of fell out of that that notion. Um, the first job that I took was with the U.S. government. It was with the Defense Nuclear Facility Safety Board. I had never heard of the Defense Nuclear Facility Safety Board until my advisor, when I was a senior, said, "Hey, why don't you send these guys a resume? They have this great intern program." And I'm like, "Sure." So I handed him a copy of my resume because when you're a senior in college, you have a stack of those ready to go at any time. Um, and I never thought about it again until I got back from Christmas vacation and had a phone call on my answering machine. For those of you who don't remember what an answering machine is, I won't take the time to explain that. Um, but the phone call on my answering machine was from the defense board wanting me to fly up the next day to Washington to, to interview for a position. And I'm like, well, I really ought to figure out what these guys do. Um, so I spent the afternoon in the library at Ole Miss going through microfiche. I mean, for those of you who don't know what that is, I won't bother to explain that either. Um, but needless to say, that's where I ended up starting my career most of it because they had a great intern program. They had a great early career program where you could not quite figure out what you wanted to do, but instead take advantage of a very structured set of opportunities to go to graduate school, do a third-party job. I worked at Sandia National Laboratories for a year, went to grad school at Berkeley, and then came back and worked as a, as a member of the staff. But at some point in my career, um, the person who was my boss moved over to the Department of Energy. Somebody I had worked with was starting up a new office and said, hey, why don't you come over? So a couple of, couple of weeks after that, I had made the decision to move over to the National Nuclear Security Administration, mostly because I respected the people that I was going to be working with because I, I, I knew them. And I had a lot of experience working with them over the last decade. So a lot of different positions inside of NNSA. Um, I, I thought most of my career that I would never, ever do jobs like the one I'm doing now. As a matter of fact, I used to look at people doing jobs like I'm doing now and think, oh, no. Like, why would you ever want to do that in a, in, in a government environment? It's a really difficult job. It focuses on a skill set that wasn't my um, biggest skill set. But then at some point, there are opportunities to make a difference, right? And then there, at some point, you realize over the course of your career that what really matters to you is the ability to drive change and move the ship in the direction that you would like to see it go. And you have a choice between being willing to step up and be the person doing it yourself 
for going along for the ride. And at some point I decided I didn't want to go along for the ride anymore, that I really wanted to be one of the folks deciding where the ship was going to, to go. And so that led to a series of career choices within NSA and eventually the, the career choice that I've, I've taken now, um, where my some point in the last administration, the person who was the Secretary made me an offer that I just couldn't refuse. We'll be back after this from Floor. Mike White was followed on the program by UCOR President and CEO Ken Reuter, who described a program he created designed to nurture and promote rising senior leaders within his organization. He says it started when he took a hard look at the organization in 2015. What we concluded from that was is that we had a major generational gap within our industry. Uh, with the belief that a majority of that <clears throat> was, was caused by being a somewhat closed and very stoic industry, and that that had precipitated a belief that there was an opportunity in the, in the nuclear ecosystem because you, you know, felt like it was a going out of business sale. And as Ike pointed out, it, was a, it, was, it is exactly the opposite. It is a real call to service, a real call to opportunity that can bring uh, parties together. And so I teach every rising senior leaders class, and I'll take you through all of that. Uh, it's it's a one, once a month curriculum. We spend time together, a uh, very focused set of modules, which I'll, I'll talk about. I'm going to share it with you and give you nuggets for each of those. But I thought if there's any way to build loyalty to a brand, it was for me to walk that talk. And to be in there, not send out notes from Ken or not send out expectations. Uh, and, and I'm really no different than any other general executive or general manager. I've got, I live my life in 15 minute increments every day. I, I did make a commitment to myself that that wouldn't happen, but obviously I didn't, I didn't maintain that. And, and so, uh, by putting this program together that we call Rising Senior Leaders, uh, we established two goals. The first is, is to, to address the realization that we had in 2015, which is that we had a major resourcing gap. And not just solely uh, in the craft that do the work or the engineers that technically do the work or all the service line folks that ensure compliance and delivery and programmatic and policy, but in the overall breadth of leadership. And when I, when I personally looked at it and we looked at our growth plans, which I firmly believe that, that we were going to deliver on in this, this playbook, I, I clearly concluded, uh, reflectively that we did not have the coaches to coach those players to those outcomes. But first and foremost, it was folks. Uh, that were demonstrating an ownership in their career, a true thoughtfulness and reflection of when I want to be in this industry, I understand what it means. I understand the importance of it. I understand what it means to me and, and where, I could, where I could go with this. So they saw the opportunity, the opportunity that I talked about 
I mean, we, we have four professional generations left to go before the environmental liability is, is zero. And then I, I would offer you that, that we are going to start the whole nuclear life cycle again. We're watching that happen in Tennessee. Our industry is taking steps that they only wish could happen 30 years ago. And it's actually being enabled by, by the environmental, the successful deployment of the environmental management program because it's completing the whole nuclear life cycle. So there, there is generations worth of opportunity. Wherever you may want to be, as I always was amazed with how distant, uh, uh, and again, I realize we're in a stoic industry. So I, and, and so with all that, I, I always was amazed with how, when I reflected on being uh, in the early stages of my career, how distant, uh, you know, the front office was or in the connectivity. So you really didn't know. And I always reflect on this concept that one of the greatest enemies or diseases of every organization is ambiguity because people make up the void. And, they, and, it's, and it's rare that it's made up um, with, uh, with a consistent understanding. So I felt that, that uh, these had to be folks that, that wanted to and embraced collaboration with the, with the executive team and the leadership team overall. Another objective that, that at the end, we would be producing leaders uh, that were much more visible than, um, I call it stock value, who had the visibility and the stock value that they could pierce the veil of being a key personnel. So if you've been on federal contracting, that, that, that's a very select few. It's that the requirements to be there, the ability to be part of the capture of a multi-billion dollar federal contract and the constraints around that in a very stoic industry is tough. And so I felt that by 2020, 2021, when the, when the next contract was going to be offered, that, that we needed to put our money where our mouth was at and put up next generation executive leaders that could effectively be selected as key personnel. Uh, I thought it was excellent. I thought that um, they gave really good life advice and whatnot. And the program that was presented by UCOR, I thought was a really good idea. I feel as if a lot of different groups should have that program implemented in their companies. I'm working on the non-instructive testing program and Part of that is just really learning all the different methods and whatnot. And I've been really working with a lot of the examiners in our group and our company, trying to sort of pick their brains and get a better understanding of all the different applications and sort of the shortcomings where I can help as an engineer. But also just sort of looking at ASNT, trying to get my own level threes at some point. Today's episode of the Gone Fission Nuclear Report is brought to you by Floor. We're building a better world.